Hello and welcome to a special episode of the Fabulous Pelton Cast. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. <laughs> Tristan Garcino. And we are coming to you after one of the most stunning losses in the long and storied history of Washington Huskies football is they fall at home to FCS Montana 13 to 7. I I love your voice for this one. <laughs> I mean, what do you what do you want me to be excited? The funeral voice. No, you're you're more down. I'm in the aggressive mindset right now. <laughs> well, look, I think one thing that we are going to indicate here is we are in very different stages of the five stages of grief. I don't know if there's any denial here. We all accept the Huskies lost what too much. What stage are you in? Bargaining. Bargaining? Oh, yeah. I, I do have, look, I'll get to a silver lining in the podcast later. That's fine. There is, there is a single silver lining to this loss. Maybe a couple, I suppose, depending on how you look at it. But right now, th- this is no time to be in the bargaining phase. I am bargaining hard. I'm bargaining, I'm are bargaining you really? hard. I you mean, are, first off, I want to con- congratulate the University of Montana Grizzlies for finally avenging that first round loss against the Husky basketball <laughs> team in the 2005 NCAA tournament. Wow, somewhere, a, it, somewhere Larry Kristoviak is smiling. It was a long con, but but it was a great play because not only did they avenge that loss, they single-handedly ended the Husky football program for the next five to 10 years. See, this is there, the sort of there, thing that I am there going is to push back no against over the course of this podcast. From this, I am telling you right now what is happening with this program. You can see it. You know that this is true. What we're looking at, there is only one way that it isn't true, which again, we will get to later. But you can see where we're going with this. And sometimes when you have the wrong people in positions of power, it is good to learn that early. And that's what we learned here today. You've been, you're, you're rolling your eyes about this. We knew it last year. We knew it last year. When they went three and one? They got so fucking lucky to go three and one last year. That's like the Mariners this year. You're, That's you're, what you're citing okay. to me. Okay. You're coming no, into first this off, with it their is three not and like one is basically fun differential. It is not like the Mariners. As they they against, did outscore their opponents. They played against trash teams and needed monster comebacks in those games. They played they awful. Monster comeback in one of the games. I mean, they they attempted to come back and failed to come back in the other. I guess they they it was Oregon State was a comeback as well. Technically, I guess they, they also won by seventeen against Arizona. Their overall point differential a lot was quite strong. Da. But it's four games during a pandemic, two the, in a row against that Arizona. Season baby. could not possibly have been more meaningless in every sense. It guided us. It showed us what we were going to learn from this program going forward, and we learned it all here today. There is nothing remotely comparable about trailing Utah at halftime and losing to Stanford, who, like, no matter how bad Stanford is, they're going to beat us in Palo Alto, and losing at home to Montana. Those are not yeah, anywhere on the same worse. continuum. Things have gotten even worse since then, but I think there were a lot of people who went into the season, and you saw it with John Donovan. There is no John Donovan does not have an offense. There's no ethos to this team right now. There is literally nothing. 
There is, is nothing the most at productive all. analysis is just and whenever everything goes wrong, it's the coach's fault and play the backup quarterback, which I'm sure we'll get to in a second. Oh, yeah, we're getting there. The fundamental problem in this game and is the what? things that concerns how, me how from a process standpoint. Something else in this game aside from that. The fundamental thing I saw in this game is the University of Washington, a top 25 ranked FBS program coming into the season, playing against an FCS program that is ranked in the top 10. You expect the FCS team might be better at execution. It might be more experienced, but they are going to be dramatically overmatched in terms of size and speed. And at no point in this game did it feel that way. The UW offensive line, which should be the absolute strength of this team, has apparently like a top 10 pick at left tackle and returned everyone from last year's team, couldn't block Montana whatsoever. That's a problem. And then, and granted a factor in this is the fact that your top three wide receivers, your top four wide receivers after Jalen Polk went out very early in this game, were all on the shelf. Did you see- Why were they on the shelf? What was the reason that- well, we it's, it's college football. We don't find out. Jalen no McMillan, we only know he had surgery because he posted about it on Instagram. The whole fucking thing is a sham right now. I mean, why do we even watch college football? I agree. The two highest paid employees of the state currently have scored 13 points today. Jimmy Lake's side of the ball did better. We'll talk about that. Thanks, Jay. <laughs> but even on special teams, did you ever see any dynamic playmaking from the Huskies? Did you ever see any speed or athleticism that stood out? Like there's no playmaking at all. They looked slower. And that is, that is a huge fucking problem. But I think it actually had very little to do with the play calling. Like your big complaint coming into this season and about last year was, well, they ran the ball too much. Okay. Well, they threw it 46 fucking times today it still and wasn't, it amounted it, to not much there was no dynamic offense here i think well you can't I, just, I think there's a question of whether dylan morris can stretch the field i think that's a very open question about dylan morris at this point that's i mean that's one of the concerns look there's a concern everywhere across the board i think maybe maybe you could take some positives from the defense i mean i don't know if you take positives from the defense the defense wasn't the problem. Like one of the things I went and looked at is let's compare this to the recent times the Huskies have played FCS and that's, opponents. That's what was happening last year, though. The, in last, last year's season, they were relying too much on big plays from the defense. And when those things don't come, you have to have an offense outside of that. And this game, they had no turnovers from the defense and they had to play offense. You have to have a complete scheme. You can't just get hope to get lucky. This is like, it, but, it is the worst case scenario of Pete Carroll football that they played here today. But it's not Pete Carroll football because the point of Pete Carroll football is that you run because you're good at running. They weren't good at running and they didn't there run that much. Many seasons that the Seahawks have had that suggest that that is not the case. I mean, the year that they lost all their running backs to injury, they did pass quite a bit, quite frankly. Like, but, I don't think that was the criticism. Okay, the, you were going to talk, talk about the, the versus FCS opponents. I mean, so they allowed like 4.0 yards per play, basically, maybe 4.1. I have it broken up into Russian pass, which were 4.0 and 4.2. 2019 versus Eastern, 4.2 yards per play. Also no takeaways in that game. 2018 versus North Dakota, they did have two takeaways, but 4.0 yards per play. The, the two teams that reached the New Year's six bowl games were much more dominant defensively. 2.5 yards per play against Montana in 2017, 3.1 versus Portland State. But you look all, all of those games, those, those four games, 
they were at least seven yards per play offensively. This one, they were under four yards per play. Under four yards per play against Montana. But I just don't know, like, what is the play you call if you have no starting receivers and you can't run block? Like, I, what's the play call you're dialing up there, friend? There has to be more to it than that. You can't just say, this is still an institutional problem. If you're like, well, the issue is they don't have good players. How do you... I mean, it's perplexing because we thought they had good players. Everyone thought they had good players. Anybody at the program that they just don't have good players? The question Or that they hypothetically have good players and they didn't play well? What about this is a positive to you? It's not a positive. It's a, let's not, first off, let's not panic. And second off, let's under, like, be measured in our criticism and not just throw it into the most convenient narrative possible. What is the most convenient narrative possible? That they don't have a good offensive coordinator? There are more offenses than this offense. I mean, again, I just don't know which offense you're designing around the fact that you can't block Montana with a veteran offensive line. Expecting that they couldn't block Montana? I think they, yeah, I think so. And the first drive, they did it. The first drive was everything you wanted to see for the Unum offense. And then somehow, instead of Montana's defensive players wearing down, (sighs) Unum's defensive players wore down. It makes no sense. Unum played like the FCS team in this game. So you're saying in defense of the UW UW as a program is that they they just have bad players. Again, objectively speaking, everyone thought they had good players going into this game. So the question is not, why, you know, what's wrong with the program? Because that's not to take, it's what happened today. The bad players, maybe. (laughs) If that's what you're telling me. I'm telling you it's a failure of execution and tactics, not a failure of strategy. I don't know if I agree with that. At some point, you have to recognize, you you have to recognize that what you're doing is wrong and that it's not working. What else are you going to try? There was nothing else. There was no creativity on this offense whatsoever. I mean, I would have liked to see a little more of Giles Jackson on the fly sweep, which was some, like Giles Jackson was the one guy who did look relatively athletic, although not really on returns. First of all, I was going to say, how dare you to Kate Otten? Who is oh, I mean, Kate Otten. No, uh, no. Kate Otten is the team's best player offensively by a mile. No, no, none of this should be construed as any disrespect to Kate Otten. But the problem is that you can't throw the ball to Kate Otten literally every time. I, I would like to see the offense. <laughs> it was a very vanilla scheme. Like you, you can't tell me that it wasn't. It was a very. You know what? I'm tired of hearing vanilla is a criticism. What? What would you? The goal like? is not to be creative. It's a criticism the goal is to be when effective. you score seven points against Montana. Okay, if the goal is to be effective, how about that? It was a very ineffective scheme. What do you want me to say here? It didn't work. Again, like, I just don't know what the scheme is if you can't block against a team that you should be able to block against. There has to be more. There you has to be point more to any to specifics. So for of what they should have done differently, maybe they should have tried some wide receiver passes. Like, I don't know. What they tried talking. those. They didn't go super great. I don't know if you're aware of it. I mean, again, the fact that Dylan Morris, like the longest completion today was 16 yards to Kate Otten. Did he or I guess there, I guess there was a like longer completion to opportunities to look downfield. Was there pre-stat motion? Was there a lot of play action and effective play action? Now, I think like, that's the most fair criticism is that they viewed the fact that they didn't have the success running the ball as a reason not to use play action very much, which is a Pete Carroll is a Pete Carroll thing. But when they did use play action and rolled out Dylan Morris, 
Montana was entirely unfooled and sacked Dylan Morris for a loss of 12 yards. Is, is the answer here that the offensive line is bad, that Dylan Morris, we, again, we had a small I think sample the, size on I Dylan mean, the Morris answer is, last year. I, Everybody is bad. I think the answer is probably that it's one game. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, obviously the Huskies if, are not as good they as we are, thought they were. If they are a top 25 team, if they are a team that is competing for the Pac-12 North, you do not have one bad game like this. This isn't playing against a Pac-12 opponent. This is fucking Montana here. Like, this is, you understand the situation that we're talking about. Sure, I understand. Like, it's, look, it's one it's of the just, worst losses in look, program history, without question. Just one bad conference. That's it. <laughs> like, it all is wrong, except for UCLA, baby. <laughs> Let's go. Harry you want to know play. who has a fucking Chip scheme? Kelly. Chip Kelly has a scheme. How did, how did that work out for Chip Kelly in the past few years? <laughs> he, was, he was building it up. <laughs> you, have to have, you have to have the right talent. Look, at least there's an ethos. I don't care about an ethos. I care about execution. What I wouldn't trade for DTR right now. <laughs> the, I mean, one of the perplexing things here is what happened to Dylan Morris over the course of this game. Because the offense didn't produce points in the first half, but they passed the ball at a high rate, at a high, you know, they, a highly accurate rate in the first half. Dylan Morris went 17 of 23 for 139 yards. It's not very many yards per completion, but he was consistently completing passes. The second half of this game, Dylan Morris completed 10 of 23 passes, which is not what we've come to expect from Dylan Morris, which is, again, difficulty stretching the field vertically, but effectiveness completing the ball underneath, making good decision-making. And I don't know whether it was him losing confidence after a couple of interceptions or Montana City on those underneath routes because they didn't feel like they were going to be challenged vertically, but it was entirely different in the second half. I don't have an answer for what went wrong with Dylan Morris. What I do have an answer for is every time there were any stats from preseason camp, Sam Heward's stats were dramatically worse than Dylan Morris's. I don't care about preseason stats at all. Not even in the slightest. And I'll t- Well, that's a terrible perspective to have. I mean, what, what else would you care about other than performance? I don't know. Maybe performance in this game today. What else would well, you did, care about? We didn't see Sam Heward with this in this game today. The season is over. You understand this, right? The season is not over. John Donovan's tenure as UW offensive coordinator is effectively over. I would say that Jimmy Lake is on the clock right now. It's at this his, point. The fifth game he's coached. It doesn't matter. When you have the wrong people in power, it's good to learn that early. It's good to learn that quickly. When Jim Elmore was the coach of the Seattle Seahawks, they let go of him in a year. And it was the right decision because when you have the wrong people in positions of power who can't coach the team, there's so much other stuff that's been going Jim on. Jim Elmora had and it all terrible process to- and had a previous track record as the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons to go Where by. He was a fairly successful head coach as the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. He was middling. He made the playoffs. What is I'm just John, curious. What, what is John Donovan's previous su- success? What, at what point in John Donovan's I, career has I, it ever seemed that he was ready for this role to be offensive coordinator? I mean, I coordinator? think his success at Vanderbilt suggested he was ready for a Power 5 coordinator job, which is why he got the job at Penn State. Now, things did and not go well at Penn State. Within a year. I don't think John Donovan was the correct choice as offensive coordinator. I agree with that. But that's separate from Jimmy Lake's tenure. 
Jimmy Lake, actually, you I'm just curious what you thought. What did you think about Sark when he was three and seven in his first season? I fucking loved Sark. Are you of course we all did, but he was three and seven. You know why we loved him? Because it took over a team that happened to go 0 12 the previous year because its starting quarterback got injured. And people think Tyrone Willingham is a like people think that Tyrone Willingham drove this program into the ground when they were equally as good under Tyrone Willingham, other than when Jake Locker got injured. Okay, first they were in Sark's first three to four years. I've always been a defender of Tyrone Willingham. A, B, Sark turned the program around completely. I will no, not suffer didn't. any Sark he, slander. He Sark moved the could, program in the correct direction. The program in the place that Chris Peterson was willing to take it over. Chris That's Peterson fair. was the it was the head coach for a proper amount of time, probably too short an amount of time. He he read the writing on the wall. He left, and now we're going to have to have a hard reset on the program. That's what this loss is. Again, five games. Five. It games. is. It is necessary. Like, I just. It's crazy to me that you don't see this. I understand you're trying to. Do you want to talk about some recent teams that in Pac-12 that lost to FCS teams? Recent Husky teams? No, recent. I mean, the Huskies have, I don't know if they've ever lost to an FCS team per se because they didn't previously schedule them when those were not. When Sark was three and seven, he was not playing against Montana, gaining four yards per play. Steve Sarkeesian would never, his offense would never gain four yards per play against an opponent like Montana. I mean, I suppose narrowly defined like that. No, the last two teams to lose to FCS teams from the PAC 12 were our friends to the East Washington state in 2016. They lost Mm -hmm. to Eastern. They went seven and two in the PAC 12 that season, eight and five overall the year before (laughs) he didn't get fired left of his own volition. I wonder if through this time period, he would have ended up getting out of the Pac-12. He went to the SEC. <laughs> One way or another, he was leaving the Pac-12 during this I mean, time period. Look, let's just say that Mike Leach has not shared his vaccination status, and it does not seem to be the same kind of story <laughs> that it is with Nick Rolovich currently. Probably In- commensurate with Nick Rolovich's, Rolovich's vaccination status. I've got a guess. If you're unwilling to share... There's usually a reason you're unwilling to share. 2015, the previous season, Washington State lost to Portland State. They went nine and four that season, six and three in the Pac-12. Your season is not over because you lose to an FCS opponent. Great. All if we could only have the Mike Leach treatment. I I suppose, yes, a season could be salvaged with a loss to an FCS opponent, but there was nothing that happened in this game that suggested to me that this team is going to go nine and three on the season that we're just going to move on from this loss. But there was nothing that happened in those games that suggested the team was going to go nine and three on the season either. You don't understand that. Like did they score, the moment, did they score points like in those games? What was the score of those games? Well, they, they scored points. Yeah. They lost like one of them 48, 41. That's they're a very Wazoo different team. Does. <laughs> <laughs> what does UW do? Well, if UW allows 13 points. I think they're going to win more games than not. That's that's my Literally, hypothesis. What does UW do well on offense? If they're scoring seven points against Montana, how many points are I mean, they going to score just, against it's the Pac-12? Reduction ab- absurd. Fine. Whatever. Like all your arguments are, they played bad in this game, therefore they're bad. I I just like how do I counter I, that? Like okay. okay, it's a fact they played bad in this game. There's not an argument that like actually they secretly played good in this game. <laughs> That's not an argument. The argument is that one game only tells you so much about a a team, A, and it especially only tells you so much about a program and a coach. 
I just can't wait for this Michigan game next week. I mean, uh, from we'll, a we'll standpoint, like there's nothing good that can happen when you're playing against Montana, which is why I philosophically don't believe in playing FCS teams for the most part. I, I don't know if I 100% agree with that. I nothing good nothing can good. happen. The only good thing that can happen is you can get, you know, reserves, your reserves experience. That's the only possible good thing that can happen. When you're playing... They managed a, a, to get some reserves experience on the offensive line of this one. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Because the, the starters were line. benched. I, because the starters were benched. <clears throat> uh, they managed to get a lot of receivers, reserve receivers experience, oh, as it turned out, because all know. of the starters were injured. They could have left the program. We have no idea. Well, I I think we've seen many of them on the sidelines. I think we know they haven't left the program. I mean, the one case I think you can make for Sam Heward is, I guess, hypothetically, he may have more experience throwing to this group if he's been working with them on the second unit than Dylan Morris does. Here's the deal. First, I mean, you have to understand that every like every fan in the stadium is like, why don't they play Sam Heward? Yeah. And they're all right. No, they are all wrong. Sam Heward is not ready. Nothing that Sam Heward has done since he has set foot on the University of Washington campus in terms of his performance has suggested that he is ready to play Division I college football. Do we know this for a fact? People, I mean, maybe he had an amazing two weeks of practices after the media wasn't let in. That seems unlikely to me, especially because the people who did watch those are the coaches who didn't consider making a change. And also Dylan Moore, like Sam Heward, if Patrick O'Brien would be, was healthy, Pat, Sam Heward would be running third string right now. Like he's not even the backup, really. You sent Dylan Morris to the Wolves in week two against Michigan. And then boom, it is Sam Heward's job. That's the deal. This, they, there's no salvaging this season at this point. The same people who want Sam Heward to play are the people who wanted Jay Kaner to play and the people who wanted Nick Montana to play. And everybody always loves the backup quarterback until that backup quarterback actually has to play football and you have to confront the reality because it's that Sam backup quarterback. One of the highest recruits in UW history. At quarterback. Irrelevant. Recruiting is not that important for individuals. It's the, it could be any, the, like on one side you have the boat, but then you have the magic box. It could be anything. It could be a boat. <laughs> That's what people see with backup quarterbacks. It's a it magic could, box. It could what? Mystery box. On the other side, he could throw three interceptions against Montana. Like, I, I just don't I mean, know what your standards are here. The interceptions to me are less meaningful than his completion percentage in the second half, because UW had its hands on how many balls that they couldn't come up with in terms of interceptions. Interceptions are an extremely random thing from week to week. <sighs> okay, a handful of thoughts here. Number one, apparently it's pronounced Asbury Park. <laughs> I'd like to issue a, a formal correction. An apology to Asbury Park. An, an, an apology to Asbury Park, New Jersey, and the boss and all of the street band. <laughs> I'd like to formally apologize. And the Jersey Shore. I was not in Asbury Park, New Jersey this weekend, which gave me the opportunity to go to this very Husky game that you went to and I ended up not going to. And you are so fucking lucky that I didn't go to this game. (laughs) This podcast would have ended Oasis style. We would have (laughs) Gallagher brothers come to blows during this game, if we were there in the East End Zone watching this game take place, there would have been no recovery for our relationship after it. Well, here's the thing is 
like we waited buried this way too late in the pod the real reason the huskies lost is because you didn't go why because therefore i didn't sit by myself in the east end zone since the famous cousin katie also did not go i joined third pelton brothers nate and tyler and their uh, their significant others and friends in the 300 level so i've watched three games in the 300 oh level God. Uh, in my adult life, I watched many of them there with our uh-huh. dad back in the day. Joey Galloway beating it when he was out, beating Ohio State in like 94. Very exciting. A uh, lot of great memories from the 300 level back then. Since the renovation, as an adult, three games in the 300 level. Uh, you were there for the Cal game. Oh, yes, post, I was. Post thunderstorm. One of the most horrible losses in program history. I'd say so, yes. Not as high as this one. The, the loss to Utah, which was understandable. Utah was like a top 10 team. And now this. So I cannot ever sit up there again. That's, there we go. that's what we concluded. I mean, you can talk all you want about Jimmy Lake and John Donovan. The real common denominator here is me. So anyway, I mean, I, I, don't, I, I will be much closer to the field against Michigan next week. I so need to, wait, I'm not, done okay. I'm not done yet on this, on this. We're not going yet. I need to go get one more San Juan Seltzer because this is a two San Juan Seltzer heat podcast. I just came up with it for the takes. Wow. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Because the other aspect of this, you're telling me that you feel great about this coaching staff and their decision-making. The clock management at the end of this game was some of the worst clock management I have ever seen in my entire life. Letting the, cl- letting the clock tick down before Montana hit their field goal so that you're in the position where you have two minutes and 30 seconds left. All three timeouts given. Saving those timeouts in this scenario is they were extending, I suppose, the possibility that they would have last second heave but if you have so little faith in your offense in driving in that situation that you don't want to give them more time, what the fuck are you even doing? Why I are mean, you playing the game? Why is Sam Heward not out there? If you're telling me you don't believe in Dylan Morris, that you're just looking for as many attempts as possible, and you're not trying to save time there, it is an absurd perspective. And then to come out and run the ball? They ran the ball with two minutes and 30 seconds left at the 15-yard line multiple times. There was a... I don't think that's unreasonable to do. You don't Money think these in play two-minute situations were... is usually an effective strategy. You know who look, I mean, you know who runs the ball very effectively in two-minute situations is the Seahawks. I don't know if that's true, A. And B, this was... They had an entire field to go. They had to score a touchdown in this scenario. And they are running the ball into the box... Like this is, it was some of the worst offense and offensive play calling I have ever seen. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills that you don't agree with me about this. You I saw mean, those runs and you were like, yeah, that's good. More of that. Your, your concern was lack of time when they had enough time. And because they kept the timeouts, they turned the ball over on downs, got a stop and still got the ball with over a minute left. I, I mean, I don't understand setting, this argument setting whatsoever. Setting themselves up for a heave at that point. No, we're going to have to you don't, themselves you don't for set a heave yourself- at all. That's you a ridiculous argument for that situation. They you had the ball the across midfield with 49 seconds left and no timeouts. If they take the ball okay, and they well, have a yeah, legitimate offense no time four and a half minutes. You wanted them to take out the timeouts earlier. I don't, uh, you're arguing, undercutting your own argument. 
the problem was not time. The problem was making successful plays. And those runs were not the successful plays. I mean, they got five on the first run. I don't think it was an unreasonable, unsuccessful play. Running on a second and three situation, like if you can pick that up, the clock stops. Again, I don't think it's an unreasonable decision. 80 yards away with two minutes left? I mean, they weren't 80 yards away at that point. The second time they ran it, they were 67 yards away. Again, they had enough time that they could turn the ball over on downs, get a stop, and still get it back with enough time to mount a reasonable drive. The only way forward for this program. I, one thing I don't understand, well, I thought the clock stopped at 49 seconds, but this says 41 seconds. I guess I'm, I'm a little perplexed about that because I thought 12 seconds ran on that, that throwaway where Morris got pressured on first and 10 after the long pass to Kate on. The way forward for this program is to turn it over to Sam Heward. You let Dylan Morris start at Michigan because you don't want to throw Dylan Morris into that situation. And this you is, turn, you this turn the talk radio over take. That's what this to is. Sam Heward. This is someone who Dylan, pays no Dylan, attention to the team for months at a time, but all they know is, well, Sam Heward's big recruit. Dylan he must Morris. be good. Nick Montana was a five-star recruit too. Okay. Clearly, if he had the opportunity, it would have been good. But we're not talking what? Jake Browning, one Do of the you best. Do know what Nick Montana's career was? <laughs> We're not talking Jake Browning replacing one of the best quarterbacks. This is what they did with Jake Browning. They put him in when he was young. They built him up. They had a freshman season with him where he wasn't amazing. They gave him experience. That's what I'm arguing that they should do here. And you should be agreeing with this. Who was if the Dylan alternative Mo- at that point? If Dylan Moore... <laughs> Tyler Miles coming back. Um, if Dylan Morris is not the right quarterback for the team going forward, they should build it back up. There's a good defense. Let Sam Heward run the ball. Let him run the ball even more than pass. Every piece of position. every shred of information we had before today indicated that Dylan Morris was the right quarterback going forward. He, for a redshirt freshman, had an extraordinarily successful four-game performance performed well based on all the information we got from every open practice in fall was the unquestioned starter the entire time throwing that away because of one bad half is preposterous you it's overreacting to small sample size it's kj carter saying this was by the way the the alternative oh yeah it would have been great (laughs) more experienced quarterback let sam heward have his struggles for one season, you're punting on the season. There's nothing. Build it up I don't think. Is there actually the evidence that playing college football develops you any faster? I think this is one of those things that people assume is true that there's no actual evidence to back up. I also don't like believe in the NFL shift to where we have to play rookie quarterbacks any, right away. I think it's a little, you know, circular logic. Rookie quarterbacks are playing, therefore. We should play rookie quarterbacks. There's not much of an alternative sample. Like you don't get to run. A, the other thing is you don't get to run the, like the a test where you randomly decide whether a quarterback red shirts or not. The players who are most ready play and the players who are not ready don't play. So they're you, biased samples by definition. You get value from a quarterback for like four seasons. So you might as well get as much value as you can through those four seasons. Yeah, that's why you should absolutely redshirt him and get those seasons when they are 19. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about the NFL. Oh. 
you get well, value in college, from a quarterback while they're You should absolutely redshirt contract. your quarterback. And it had the Huskies been able to redshirt Marcus Tuyasasopo in 1997 <laughs> or 1998, whatever year that was, they would have won the national championship in 2001. Wow. And not had him replace Brock Heward. <laughs> I, I mean, it all comes full circle. They probably wouldn't have won the national championship in 2001. Oh, the EU was very good, but maybe they would have lost by fewer than 60 points at Miami if Tui was still around. <laughs> quarterback. You would have wanted to mention for Cody Pickett, of course, when he had one bad hat. Absolutely, I would. You're talking <laughs> bad about Cody Pickett now? What? Tui Again? was dramatically better than Cody Pickett. Cody Pickett has not fared well by advanced stats. I hate to break it to you. He, he relied more on raw volume. Well, I hope you're happy. I'm not happy. <laughs> I want to be clear. It was a miserable experience. I'm so sick of that fucking walk up the UW campus out of the stadium to my car after a loss. They, they've now lost. They had a whole year off. You know that, right? <laughs> I know. I, you know You're what? Already sick of it. <laughs> I missed the. I like the year off better. I preferred the year off. Do you want to know? I made a Thanksgiving dinner tonight to celebrate the end of summer, and this even ruined a Thanksgiving dinner. Wow. I thought nothing could do it. Uh, I did. We have a Thanksgiving dinner at the famous cousin Katie's the year that. Uh, was it, was it Folk that missed the field goal at the end of regulation and the Huskies lost in overtime the Apple Cup on the Friday? I mean, obviously, they always play on the Friday after. No, I don't think we had a after Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Day. When Bob was cheering for the Cougars? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I don't so think this, we did it. Had a this is the first time the Huskies have ruined Thanksgiving on September 4th during Labor Day weekend. <sighs> well, the good news is Seahawks season starts soon. That's, that's the other piece. I, you know, I, I've really, I've spent a long time complaining about college football and I kind of just don't care that much. You know, it's fun to get angry about this, but like the amount that I'm actually worked up about it is it's down here, but we've got Ben Baldwin joining us on Monday. And if you want a silver lining NFL season preview for where the games actually matter, like I just watching college football and I'm like, Alabama winning 44 to 13 or whatever against Miami. And I'm like, the whole sport is pretty stupid. Like if we can oh, just but, step back objectively. But they can't play the players because then some teams might dominate too much. Would hate to have that happen. Yeah. That's the other thing about this shit. It's like people booing in the stadium. Like you could know these are teenagers who aren't getting paid for this. Like you have yeah, some they awareness. They should have turned to the press box and booed John Donovan. <laughs> well, he's down on the sidelines. Maybe they were booing John Donovan. Okay. <laughs> If I was booing, I'd be very particular about it. <laughs> I'd be like, this is specifically booing at the people who are wildly overpaid for the jobs that they do. Not, not at the young people who are wildly underpaid. Monday, get ready for it. We have a Seahawks and NFL season preview. The shit that actually matters. The sport that you actually care about. The sport that watching is actually somehow fun. To pay uh, attention to. The Seahawks will make sure that it is not fun at various stages this season. It's fine. Remember it's that. Fine. When I thought I would turn on fucking Texas earlier and I was like, oh shit, Sark's the coach of Texas. It was fun to see that Sark was the coach of Texas. And then I was reminded just how horrible college football is in every single regard, except for our UCLA Bruins, baby. <laughs> on Monday, a preview of the NFL season with over-unders and 
Seahawks season preview with Ben Baldwin. That's the shit that matters. Fuck the Huskies. Season's over. Bring on Sam Heward. On that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks.